I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. It's been a wild one o'clock hour thus far. We have covered much ground. We started the hour hearing from President Donald Trump as he delivered remarks from the border in Alamo, Texas. And uh, we then, in progress, jumped away to catch a briefing delivered at the Department of Justice by leaders of the FBI and the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. Now, there was more shared by the president. And in our newsroom right now, we are collecting all of the comments that he delivered. And later on in this program, I'll share those with you. Don't want to shortchange anyone at any of these uh, corners. I know that it's uh, it's important to hear from uh, everyone, you know, relevant to the discussion right now going on around the country. I will point out it is interesting. The time of this is interesting that the Department of Justice would uh, would time and schedule uh, their briefing to overlap the president's remarks or vice versa. Uh, typically, in you know, this is a little behind the scenes stuff here in the news business. Typically, you will see high profile events such as the two that we have both dipped in on over the past forty five minutes or so. You will see a certain measure of coordination. While the FBI just finished its remarks, uh, it wouldn't have been uncommon to then hear a moment later the start of the president's remarks or vice versa. I don't want to read too much into this or read between the lines or anything like that, uh, but it seems that there may have been either a disagreement about the timing or a desire to step on top of one another. Anyway, I'll set all that aside uh, and take advantage of the help I have right here in studio in the form of Debbie Dejanovic with a long history with the FBI and an investigative journalist. Let's return to our conversation. Those items that jumped out at you most as we heard this briefing from the U.S. Attorney's Office as well as the FBI. A lot of people are going to be looking and uh, you know out their front window and over their shoulder for many months ahead as the FBI has just said they've gotten 100,000 new pieces of digital um, evidence submitted. This is submitted through tips. So clearly there are numerous people who want to turn individuals who protested took over the Capitol into the FBI, into other law enforcement agencies. So there's going to be no shortage of tipsters out there. Uh, they're also, of course, seeking more information about those two pipe bombs we've hardly heard anything about, mainly because the FBI finally, finally just held a briefing. I believe it's several days later than what it needed to be. They should have been doing this uh, the, at the latest, uh, last late last week sometime. But now they're $50,000 reward for the, the individual or individuals responsible for those two pipe bombs planted at the uh, separate party headquarters. You've worked for the FBI yourself. $50,000. Have you ever seen a, a reward? It's not enough. Not enough. It's not enough. And I'll tell you why. Because those uh, pipe bombs, and we just heard from the uh, U.S. Attorney for the uh, District of Columbia, they were functioning pipe bombs. The ATF had to dismantle them and, you know, make sure that and render them safe. That was an unanswered question for some time. We saw the images of them, uh, you know, at those two various locations. Were they real or were they distractions? We learned here today that, in fact, they were explosive, active devices. That reward should be at least $100,000. Hey, look, we had a bank robber. We put a reward out for $100,000. So uh, when you look at the uh, possible destruction, the loss of life there uh, that could have happened but didn't, thankfully, uh, 
uh, I think uh, they have to they have to up that reward. Uh, they also, uh, quite frankly, spent a good deal of this news conference um, kind of covering their their own basis and explaining to the public why they did not know or did not have a good um, perspective of how bad this was going to get. Um, I think there's going to be some serious questions for the FBI. Look, I mean, they arrest people who are in their mom's basement uh, trying to join terrorism organizations in third world countries. And they get these guys before they're able to fly overseas at an airport. You can't tell me that the FBI uh, isn't experienced enough uh, and doesn't have enough sources on the ground in D.C. and across this nation to be able to uh, figure out uh, that people were coming into the District of Columbia with semi-automatic weapons that they were just talking about in that news conference that are already illegal in the District of Columbia, let alone in the halls of Congress, and zip ties and other devices that could have potentially caused even greater harm than what we saw go down at the Capitol. So the after-action report, Lee, is going to have to include this question to the FBI. Why did you not know? Deputy Janovic, thank you so much. Uh, We're going to get back on track here. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, uh, much more to discuss uh, stemming from this press conference, this briefing finally delivered by the Justice Department. Uh, Also, on a totally different subject, the PPP loans are back in action. We'll get into that later on the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is Live Mike, and you're listening to KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. If I'm honest, I did not expect to have such a broad briefing delivered by the Justice Department, specifically the acting attorney or the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia in conjunction with the FBI field office in Washington, D.C. We learned much about what transpired uh, during the violence at the Capitol just last week, and we have learned much about what the Justice Department is now doing, both uh, as it investigates and seeks to prosecute. Uh, some some quick numbers from the briefing delivered by the FBI. 160 case files have been opened. 160 case files have been opened. 100,000 digital media tips have been received. And the scope of the crimes being investigated range from trespass to felony murder. From trespass to felony murder. As the FBI's Washington field office assistant director in charge, a gentleman named Stephen uh, D'Antuono, I may have the pronunciation incorrect on his last name, but uh, best I can read, D'Antuono, uh, the, uh, the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office, He, uh, as he delivered his remarks, and as those remarks were continued by Michael Sherwin, the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, they both uh, used a phrase that caught my ear, and it is uh, prosecution of the crime of seditious conspiracy. Seditious conspiracy. At, At first, I wasn't sure that I was hearing uh, them clearly. I wasn't sure if they were making specific reference to a crime enshrined in statute. And then as uh, Debbie Dejanovic and I here sat listening to what was being delivered, you do some quick research, you touch base with some experts, and you quickly learn that, in fact, seditious conspiracy is, in fact, a crime under U.S. law. Very specifically, it is this. If two, this is seditious conspiracy, the FBI and the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia say that they are investigating 
uh, and possibly charging folks with seditious conspiracy. Here is the statutory definition. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because it historically is a very rarely prosecuted crime. I'll share with you some of the examples in a moment. Uh, But here is what is meant by seditious conspiracy. Quote, if two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States or to levy war against them or to oppose by force the authority thereof or by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States or by force to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States contrary to the authority thereof, they shall each be fined or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. That's seditious conspiracy. Now, for a charge of seditious conspiracy to be effected, the crime needs only to have been planned. And so it is the planning of such events which took place on the 6th of this month on the U.S. Capitol in conjunction with all of the other egregious events that we saw transpire. You heard them listed by the U.S. Attorney. Theft of property, destruction, trespass, and the most egregious felony murder. Now, seditious conspiracy. Where has it shown up in history? In 1936... A Puerto Rican nationalist and nine others, Pedro Campos, he along with nine others were charged with forcibly attempting to overthrow the government of the United States in Puerto Rico. They were charged and convicted and sentenced to 10 years. In 1980, another Puerto Rican nationalist, Carmen Perez, and nine other women and men were charged with seditious conspiracy for attempting to overthrow the government, again, in Puerto Rico. They were given sentences of up to 90 years in prison. In 1987, a group of white supremacists were charged and convicted of seditious conspiracy. And in 1995, a group convicted of seditious conspiracy after plotting uh, terrorist plots in New York City. That's it. That's the sum total of U.S. history when it comes to the charges of seditious conspiracy. And what we saw play out just last week, according to the Department of Justice, that there's a good chance that there will be uh, large numbers of individuals charged with exactly that crime, historic in scope. A few minutes left before the top of the hour. I want to share uh, an observation made by Debbie Dejanovic before she left. And, uh, you know, she she has a mind and an eye for uh, these types of briefings, having been involved in them uh, numerous times throughout her career. And one thing that she pointed out is that based on what was shared by the acting U.S. attorney, by the assistant director in charge of that Washington field office of the FBI, 
that the true scope and scale of what transpired last Wednesday is likely much greater and alarming than we even understand right now. And think about it. We've seen, and how, how much time have you spent doom scrolling, watching the, the footage from inside the U.S. Capitol building or from the gates as uh, those who attacked shook and rattled from the hands of Capitol Police, those metal grates, ultimately overtaking Capitol Police and making their way inside after shattering doors and breaking windows. We've seen stuff that made my skin crawl and made my stomach turn. And yet what we learn today may be that the reality could be even worse uh, than what we have observed looking in from the outside. It's chilling and scary stuff, stuff that doesn't happen here in this country and that shouldn't. What do you think? 57500, that's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Again, 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union text line. If you have a thought on uh, anything, if if I'm honest, you, you and I are hearing the briefing from the FBI together. Uh, so your observations are just as fresh as mine. Uh, so please, uh, if you have any thoughts on this, if it changes your perception, uh, or if it, honestly, if, if it makes you angry, and shooting a text a message my way uh, helps blow off some of that steam, well, then I'll happily, I'll happily be, uh, I'll happily be the outlet for you. Five seven five zero zero is the number. We're going to take a a break here in just a moment. When we return, uh, it's that brand new segment we started just yesterday, the top two stories at two. We'll look back at uh, the top stories that are in the news. Those, I think, when you find yourself around the kitchen table tonight uh, that the family's going to want to talk about. That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.